Hello and welcome to The Dime. I'm Drew Danikian and I'm joined by Jeremy Harcher. How are you traveling, Jeremy? I'm traveling better than Kawhi Leonard. Better than Kawhi Leonard? Why? What's up with... Oh, oh, the fun guy. He's not around anymore, hey? He is. We'll get to him more later, I think. Uh, but uh, what do you want to kick us off with to start the show this oh, week, Drew? What's hot? And that's the Los Angeles Lakers right now and Anthony Davis buzzer beater with 2.1 seconds left. That stellar screen that he got. I don't know what Mason Plumley was thinking. He just ran into the screen. He didn't try and go around it. He put his hand up, but there was a screen right in front of him. And I think he forced, was it Grant on the other side? He did that little lame thing. That lame thing you do in casual basketball, you know you're fucked up and you sort of push one of your teammates. Oh, you you go go there. You go there and do the defense. (laughs) But it was abysmal. It was but, poor. But you don't mate, put a player in with two seconds to go, oh. mate. That's the thing. Even with, even if some, the defender they had, I'm not even sure who they replaced to take out of the game, but just keep the same player in. The same player has got the I think they the took game. Jokic out. No, he stayed in. They had two bigs. So he was, on, he was underneath. Jokic was underneath, and they've taken out a guard, I guess. But they've taken someone out of the game who was in the rhythm of was the game. Was it Dozier? Because Dozier was playing stout defense. He was toughing it up in the fourth. In his minutes, I, I can't remember exactly. I should have paid more attention to that. But I was watching it with my son, and it was just like, Daddy, did did the Lakers just win? I'm just like, oh, yeah. That was – and I did the big, whoa! Like, oh, my God. It, it was great to see. Far from a Laker fan, but I got the tingles. I got the goosebumps, and there was uh, a little fist pump there. Just because I, I want to see good basketball. And that was a great finish. You saw Denver claw it back. They were 14 down at one stage. And, yeah, they just did everything they could. Stops. Jokic. Stop. Jokic again. And, you know, Jamal Murray played his best game of the of the series, even though it's only the second game. But um, you could see he was f- more free. Like, he got cooking in that first half. And you know, there was... They were pretty stagnant offensively, Denver, and they forced a lot of shots, but we have to give credit to the Lakers as well. Caruso, KCP in particular. LeBron turned it on when he had to. He got off to a, a flyer, a couple of throwdowns and, yeah, a couple of big triples. Um, Anthony Davis, we had a chat previously. He had a slow start, only four points in the first, but finished with 31. You knew he was going to get cooking and get going, and what a way to finish, Jeremy. Look, it's just great to see two very long, legitimate five men. I know Davis doesn't like to be, play the five, but they're both centers in the NBA, current NBA, um, both being so slick with the ball, being really clutch and making plays. The, their teammates giving the ball, saying, go make a play. I mean, a couple of players down the stretch with Jockey's just like pounding his man down, 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 down. A little gonna, hook in the I'm lane, just, yeah. Just never looked there. like missing. You know, he's just so comfortable with that range. Uh, and if you are curious, it was Mason Pumley came in for Paul Millsap. So mm. of all the people in terms of a veteran presence that knows exactly what to do, Paul Millsap would be at the top of the list for me. What do you get? An extra, on that team, yeah. Yeah, get, yeah, sure, an extra inch or two for uh, length on the arm for a potential block. But these guys aren't going to get blocked. You're not blocking Anthony Davis at the three-point line. Hell no. How often do you actually even see a three-point shot blocked at all? Jamal Murray, the play before. From behind. Actually, that was a two. Oh, that was a side. two. It wasn't a three. Yeah. But blocked that from was the side, from behind, well. sure. But a top of the key 
three, you're never going to use that guy. To, look, if you really have to put Plumley on, put him on the on the on ball, the passer, put him on, oh, yeah, the, on the inbounds. Yeah, like that. I mean, I think that's a bit silly anyway. But that's what you do with a big guy like that. They did that with Bowl in the first series. Do you remember? He was on the inbounds and he was standing there, and it was the skip pass across. And I think yeah, somebody hit a jump shot, but. It was, and then there's classic uh, game two, the Cel- uh, game three of the Celtics Raptors. They put uh, Taco four. Oh, they brought in Taco. That's the, right, bad juju. Taco like, Tuesday. You, and you know, he probably got more of an arc on the pass. Probably softer in the hands to catch. You know, like and it's OG and Anobi. It's just a bad. It's just a trip. bad thing. I mean, I think sometimes they slavishly stick to the starting or the the, the 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 five that's on the floor when they go to overtime, double overtime. They never fucking make a sub. They never make a sub, and. Uh, they, um, in these weird two seconds to go, half a second to go circumstances, the coaches just outsmart themselves. And I'm sure, look, Plumlee had played that game. It wasn't like he was cold. But I just feel like you keep that same five, those people are going to know where they're going to go. And, you know, he couldn't have got a cleaner look, a cleaner, nice, perfect step back look in this day and age. And uh, Anthony Davis, it's just really good to see. Colby! <laughs> well, that, yeah, I don't know. I found that was a bit... Bit over the top, but it's Americans versus Why Australians. Not, though, yeah. An Australian would never do that or say that. They'd have their moment a bit quietly off to the side, but that's why we love the NBA. That's why we love Americans. The, the theatrics. They have the theatrics. They, yeah. they bring the emotional to the front. And it's just great seeing a very good player um, take significant steps towards being a great player. Superstardom, 100%. And two minutes and 51 seconds prior to that, Anthony Davis hit his first three of the game in the exact same spot. So why not give him the ball again? Kind of have to say, Frank Vogel, take a bow, young man. He you know did what very I, well. Exactly. You know, I was, one of my things I uh, noticed before we look through the actual box score, I really noticed the Lakers are fantastic defensively when they're locked in. But it's almost like they've gained a half a player. It's almost like five and a half players versus five at times. Because if you watch closely... Every now and then, LeBron just goes, I'm going to play 2007 LeBron defense. Yeah, I'm on. And, I'm and locked in. Just I'm ready to go. Possession to possession. The Nuggets don't know. So it's almost like he's putting a, a sixth player on the court just for that one. Every now and then, he just his eyes light up. A couple of times he got switched onto Jokic and he was really engaged and really – like you could just tell – the player who was, even if it didn't lead directly to a steal, the player was like, oh, what? Frazzled. Who, who is yeah. this guy? Who is this guy playing defense all of a sudden on me? So I I really, I really enjoy little little things like that that you notice. And, and LeBron is, when he's engaged and he wants to play on-ball defense, he's a monster. He is. And he's been doing it every game. Not all the time, but spurts. He's timing it well. And he's getting those picks, reading the passing lanes, up court transition buckets. We've seen Kuzma streak away, Caruso streak away, KCP. You know, they're getting easy buckets in transition, the Lakers. And it's kind of like their bread and butter. You're getting Anthony Davis securing a rebound, LeBron securing a board, heads up play, and Rondo as well. I, I can't say enough about Rondo and how his return to the court has influenced the Lakers in such a positive way. Just the that leadership that we were kind of looking for, for somebody else to step up. It's Rondo hitting threes, making that pass. Last game, nine assists. He, I think he's averaging 7.8 assists since he came back. It's And that's, that's buckets. That could be potentially 21 points or 14 points or 18 points. And that's, 
It's just making the world of difference right now. Rondo's ability to create a two-man game from a five-man game is quite extraordinary. He obviously can't do it every possession, but you look at him and you're like, you shouldn't really be able to do that in modern NBA in a playoff game. Um, if they make the next series and it is against Boston, um, that's going to be a cl- great clash of styles because the Lakers get so many points on half a fast break or a full fast break, made basket, get it down the floor. They're really, really exceptional at that. Denver's tried their best to combat that, but they're just not built for that. No. Their players... You it's know, not their style of play. Yeah, and they're, they're just not... That d- defensive structure that Boston is so good at getting back and stopping fast break points... It's going to be a very interesting clash of styles if that's what we get. It didn't look like we were going to get that um, until Boston stood up and gave us a, a game, uh, which was so fascinating because they blew them out and then they didn't blow them out. Are we not going to talk Boston yet or do you want to stay a little bit more with the Lakers-Denver? Um, um, just quickly, looking to game three of the Western Conference Finals, what do you see is going to be the difference here? Do the, do the Denver Nuggets stand up again? Do they close out game three like they did game two. They got out to a bit of a sluggish start. There was the Lakers turning it on, you know, midway through the game. They blew it out. You know, it was a 14-point game at one stage and Denver clawed back. Look, my my assessment of that game, uh, it it's reminiscent of many past champion teams or teams on their way to a championship where – you look at the uh, the history books and you say, oh, that team won 4-1 or that team won 4-0 in a series. But almost always, no matter how big a discrepancy it is, how big a favourite is, there's always one game every series, even if it's a sweep or it's a 4-1, where the champion wins in a close game, where they didn't play their best, where the opposition played out of their skins and a great player or a great series of play gets them through. So t- the best example I'll give you of that was 2015, game three, New Orleans Pelicans hosting the Golden State Warriors. It was a 1v8 seed. It was almost impossible. No one thought the Warriors had, (coughs) sorry, the Pelicans had any chance of getting back into the series. Sorry. No worries. No worries. Clear your throat. um, No no chance of getting back in the series. Game three, everyone thought, you know, Golden State would cruise, 67-win team. Anthony Davis, young Anthony Davis playing for the Pelicans, trying to prove himself a real superstar. The Golden State Warriors were down 20. Uh, into the third quarter, I'm pretty sure, and went on a big run. But even in the last 17 seconds, they're down five. The game's effectively over. Uh, Curry hits a great three from the top of the key. They play the foul game. They get the ball back with six seconds left, and they're down two. Uh, No, they're down three. They're down three. So they split the free throws. And Curry shoots a three on the 45, misses. Davis is right there, doesn't get the rebound. He's watching all this happen. It gets spun out to Curry again. Davis is outstretched hands trying to block the shot. He watches Curry stare him down and hit this dagger three. Ouch. Dagger three, game three, quietens the New Orleans fans. And they would go in and win in overtime and sweep the series. And that game too made me think of that. And, and it's made me think of those types of series. Look, there is, of course, Denver has a chance, but if I had to predict, game three is actually the game where the Lakers really throw the smack down. Yeah. And look, Denver is shooting really well. So the last thing I'll say with some of the box score stuff from that last game, you know, Jeremy Gant was three from four, Jokic nine for 20, Jamal Murray taking some really tough shots, eight for 19. Michael Porter, we got a really good, efficient Michael Porter Jr. game, six for nine. Um, overall, 47% to the Lakers, 44%. Um, and. 
they 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 didn't blow it. I don't. I wouldn't say they blew it, despite that weird defensive structure at the end of the, that that last game. But I would be surprised if if Denver wins the next game. I think it's going to be a three zero Lakers, and then maybe Denver gets a win in game four because the Lakers just inevitably if get they take the that little bit throat. of complacency, yep. and then Lakers win four one. Wow! Um, but I'm very confident the Lakers win game three. Very confident. I like it. I like it. It's good analysis there. I'd, you talked me into it. History. I, I, I based wanting, most of my assessments yeah, with I'm history. I'm wanting Denver to get a couple back. I want to be. I want to see a seven-game series. You know, I'd love to see what Denver did to the Clippers. Well, we might get a seven-game series, but it won't be in the West. Yeah, that's true. I think it'll be in the East. And uh, look, look, the bubble. The last, the last possible, uh, you know. Hope for Denver is the bubble. A lot of the history stuff, a lot of the vibe and the feel that I get game to game, I'd feel like I'm a little bit off on the radar. And and when we get to the next series, I'm really feel like I'm off the radar. So that's Denver's hope is that it's bubble. Unfortunately, in the real world, Denver would have been playing mile high with their home fans. And you think, well, it's a new series again. They start, you know, down 2-0, but they can win a game in, at home. But I just think combination of factors. The Lakers are gonna they're gonna win game three somewhat easily, is what I would say. They've got some leaders there, you know, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, uh Howard in his time was a leader. He knows how to play basketball. He can still dominate down low, play really well defensively. You know, another big body to throw at Jokic. Just uh, annoying for everybody, but especially the Denver team. Yeah, him Rondo and Dwight Howard seem to work really well together. Uh, remember a moment in that game too where Rondo made a beautiful entry bounce pass and hits Dwight inside for the finish. Um, it was his only bucket, but he was plus 10 when he was on the on the court, Dwight Howard. So interestingly, LeBron James minus nine in his 36 minutes, but he had a... Didn't feel like that. No, he had one hell of a game. And he always leaves his mark out there. But Anthony Davis, again, that buzzer-beating three-point game winner for game two. It's going to go down in history. It one will. For the record books. We won't be forgetting that one anytime soon. It's lovely. Well, I don't know if it's lovely. I don't really like Dwight that much. But it's kind of cool to see a big, bulky center have his time uh, and get some game time because he's definitely not going to get game time against either of the two teams in the East. <laughs> uh, so Boston, Miami. Uh, 2-1 to Miami. Three very unusual games. I, I've I found this series really hard to plot a course through it. Um, I felt quietly confident about Miami in game one and Boston just looked all over them and they looked in control and Miami didn't play that great and Boston just choked it away at the end of game one. They choked it away at the end of game two. Game three, they're just blowing the doors off Miami. Miami don't even look that interested, even as they're doing their little snippets, you know, getting it from 18 to 16, 17 to 14, the margin. It never really got under 10. It was always big, always big. And then finally in that final quarter, Miami sort of kind of gave them a bit of a nudge. It still really wasn't a chance. But Boston... It didn't feel like it, but... Boston played. Boston played like they had a three-point lead instead of an eleven or twelve-point lead. It was it was bizarre. Things like taking a shot with sixteen seconds on the clock, like Marcus Smart, mm-hmm. he got he got bailed out on a foul call that could easily have been a no call in that scenario. Refs are often, and then maybe you get a position, and then maybe it does become a game. But my point is, Boston for large chunks, much much more than fifty percent of all three games, have looked significantly better and more in control of the proceedings. 
yet they've only won one game out of the three. And game four, I mean, I'd love to hear what you think, what will happen in game four, and, and if you've got any confidence in what you think might happen next. I do have a little bit of confidence in, confidence in Boston because I think a healthy Gordon Haywood could really sway this series. And we saw just his, um, his ability to create a shot, his ability to play a bit of D, get a rebound, push the ball in transition. They kind of lost that without him. They lost a bit of direction, it felt like, Boston. And if Kemba wasn't cooking and Jason Tatum settled for the jump shot, which he did for, you know, 60 70% of the time, it just looks like a team that's struggling to execute. And he, he definitely is their best passer. Gordon Haywood, yeah. Definitely. I mean, and that's almost a bit of a backhanded compliment because if you look down their roster, it does look like a lot of talent. But the one thing that Boston is short on is, I mean, they've got selfless players. They do try and set their teammates up. But in terms of, you know, there's no Rondo on the current Celtics team. Yeah, there's not no, a true point guard. You know, Marcus. No point Marta. forward even. There's no real. I mean, Haywood is the closest they have. He is yeah. he is their best passer, but it's not like he's a great passer. He's he's an above average passer and a good facilitator and very important. Good basketball player. Yes. And look, there's no reason, top to bottom, that Boston shouldn't win this series. But I, I think we haven't really had a Jimmy Butler game yet. I mean, I, th- I would like to think that he's not gonna, yet. He's going to look at that box score from the last game and say, look, I took 13 shots. I was six for 13. Five from six from the line. I had a really efficient 17 points, eight rebounds, three assists, two blocks. And he's going to look at that and go, I wasn't aggressive enough. I just didn't get enough. You know, I should have gone to the line 10 or 12 times. I should have taken 15 or 16 shots. I should have taken more than one three. I know he doesn't take many threes often. That's not really his bag. But even the three took, he was really hesitant when he he let it fly. Yeah. Uh, It's almost like he can only take a three when it's in the clutch. When it matters. Down two, you know. Um, so that's the guy that I think uh, I'd like to think he'll score 25 plus in this next game because they're kind of really missing that kind of alpha dog. You know, they've got Dragic if he, and if Butler. He does they win? Yeah, simple as that. Because the supporting cast has been great. Adebayo in the middle is having you know career numbers every game. You know, 27 points, 16 boards, three steals, two blocks. What more can he do? He hit. Seven of nine from the free throw line, four offensive boards. It's he shoot ten or fourteen from the field. That guy is the absolute gun. Next year, it's it's too late for him to get most improved. We'll talk awards in a minute or a little bit later, but he's he's done everything he can. Jay Crowder has an off game, and he's been on fire. Goran Dragic, don't want to say he had an off game, but he did. And you pointed out he was minus twenty nine. His plus, plus minus, minus for the game. Look, I think it's quite quite fascinating, and it, we we like to break numbers down. We like to look at you know analytics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, about what teams do and what teams don't, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Honestly, all I think Miami has to do to win any game in this series is just be within six points with three minutes to go. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Be within six points. If you look at all the numbers, all the betting, all the spreads, everyone predicts that they will be within six points with three minutes to go. Because you think Boston's going to capitulate. They're shaking down the stretch. I hate to say choking, but it's it's even worse than that. It's it's worse than choking because usually a choking team at least gets some shots up, um, gets some shots in the paint up, I should say. And Boston, even with a big lead, they started to, you know, shit the bed late in, the, in game three. But in game one and two, 
they should have margin wise been winning these games and they just with, with it's almost like they look up on the clock and they see that there's three minutes to go and they get like super tight and they just can't do what they've been doing the, re- the rest of the game uh, and in game four to their in game three to their credit they did um, give themselves a big enough lead with three minutes to go that they could shit the bed a little bit. And they just made a couple of plays going to the bucket. They didn't go to the jump shot. They got to their shots in games one and two. Sometimes they didn't even get to their shot. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I thought was quite um, uncharacteristic in game three of Miami, and I don't think we'll see it again, um, their overall turnovers don't look that bad. They only had 13 turnovers. Yeah. But they had about, it felt like they had five or six where the guy bringing the ball at the court just threw this ineffectual dolly. pass, dolly to the elbow, and a Boston player, Jalen Brown, a couple of times, Tatum, just like, just casually put his hand in the lane and stole the pass. It was it was almost like and they were... led to transition points. And it did. And it yeah. was just it was just like 10 points, like, like that, and they'd give it away. So if they just don't do that in the next game... It's game on. It's it's what I think it will be is Boston will still probably come out to a lead. They'll certainly be leading at halftime and almost certainly be leading at three-quarter time. But if it's like a six-point game, not a 16-point game, I give Miami every chance in the world. In fact, if you're wanting a live bet, just jump on... You know, Miami, when they're down eight with seven minutes to go and the and the sports bet will give you, you know, sports bet will give you $3 at that point. Just take it. They might even give you 4 or $5 uh, if, you, uh, if you're Get rich quick game game. enough to actually make the phone call. We, we're, <laughs> we're pretty scared to make phone calls in this day and age. But if you are, I, that's what I would do. Um, you were mentioning passing lanes and, you know, Miami being a bit uncertain with their entry passes. Jalen Brown, three steals. Gordon Haywood, three steals. And, yeah, a couple led to transition buckets. Jason Tatum with a massive throwdown. Brown had a couple himself. Gordon Haywood with a finish inside. Um, but they weren't even – I wouldn't even call them steals. They were, they were like absolutely deflections. unforced turnovers, yeah. you know. So there was, they had to be there. They had to physically put their hand up into the lane. But the ball just three or four times just sat there. Likes a daisical place. Yeah. The yeah. broadcast viewer that we see on TV doesn't even show it as egregiously as it is because the camera is only half over half court. And sometimes the where they're trying to pass it to is actually off camera for half a second. You don't quite have your focus ready. If we saw all those shots on reverse angles, you would be shocked at how – just aimless those passes were. They're just crap passes to start an offense anyway. Um, but, yeah, one or two a game, fine. But they it felt like there was six or seven of them in that game. And that's 12 points, and that's the difference in the game, 11-point margin. Oh, 100%. But, um, so you were saying that you think Bam might be in in, uh, in the running for some awards next year. I think it's kind of too late to get most improved. He An all-star this year in his second season. Has he won most improved already, though? I feel no. like he, he got one. No, no, he, he was. He's been in the running the last. He won the skills years. challenge this right, year, yeah. uh, the All Star Weekend. Um, but that was it. And well, we have to do one award. Like since we, since we spoke last time, there was one very large award that has often happened in NBA football? history. Coming out back to back MVPs, back to back MVPs. Wasn't that uh, award uh, noted with great celebration? Um, or it wasn't. But <laughs> but the. Uh, you know, it goes down with the likes of Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki in 2007 uh, and other such players that get their MVP award away from uh, the uh, the action, away from the, the gameplay of, of the season and the series in conference finals territory. Any word from Giannis? Did you listen to his speech? Did you take in any of his uh, remarks? Yeah, I, I thought everything was warranted. You know, he's big up his team, big up his coach and... 
his support staff and everything like that. Um, I think it's well-deserved. The bloke played, what, 30 minutes a game and put up freakish numbers. The Greek freak, what, you know, 30 points a game, 14 rebounds a game, you know, a steal, a block. Milwaukee, 50-odd 50, 50 wins, you know. They had a great season. And that's when it ended, when they went into the bubble. Something went wrong, a bit of chemistry, players maybe not training as hard. They just looked a bit out of sorts and maybe teams figured them out. Miami played great defense and left them struggling. I do think it's, this comes up every year, especially every year. Because so often, if you look through history, the MVP doesn't win the title and often doesn't even make the finals. I really do wish we had... I mean, it's often quite hard to come up with an award that gets historical significance, but we kind of need a, and I, and I guess it's the finals MVP, but often it's someone else. Often there's someone really puts their imprint on the playoffs. It doesn't actually win the NBA finals MVP. LeBron James. LeBron has often been that alpha dog and, and you know, the media gives the, that person credit, but the fact that we'll look back on Giannis as the MVP of this season was absolutely warranted. Don't get me wrong in the con- current construction of what that award is. But, you know, it's almost like from the minute that award is announced until the start of the regular season, that period of time is what I really want an award for. I really want – and the NBA Finals MVP, yeah, that guy often gets it, but he doesn't get his own day. It's, it is legitimately, and it should be about the team when you win the championship. Yes. But I would like to look down at the record sheets and look down through all the years and see that was the playoff monster that year. That was the playoff monster that year. And that player probably has to make the finals. But there have been times when the, someone in the conference finals got to the conference finals and actually absolutely destroyed the league and just fell a bit short. Um, LeBron in 07 would be a great example of that that player that really mm-hmm. dominated but couldn't couldn't get the title. Um, everything was pretty standard. I don't think we really have to go back over through, through the awards. What do you think? Did anything jump out of you? I mean, Montrez got his sixth man of the year award. Yeah. Um, ja, Better Schroeder, perhaps. Easily. Kendrick Nunn was the runner-up and rookie of the year, which is bizarre when you see how Tyler Hero didn't even make the first, the first team. That's, that's my beef there. Like, okay. I sent you a message... Last week, I think it was saying, wow, you know, people slept on Hero. Um, I slept on him a bit this year. I remember saying that himself and at the time, uh, Kendrick Nunn had hit 99 three-pointers each, but a lot less minutes for Tyler Hero at that stage. He was only averaging 16, 18 minutes a game. Mm. And now he's playing 30 minutes, 28 minutes off the bench. And well, Kendrick Nunn he could a- start. Kendrick Nunn hit a rookie world and he hasn't got over it. He's still – he's barely coming out and playing. Um, and Hero just looks like he's been in the league for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we just talked about MVP not being legitimate often in the playoffs. How about coach of the year? How often does the coach Nick of the Nurse. year – Oh, Nick Nurse did a great job. I'm not saying this particular year, but, again, I would like to know who the coach of the year is from, you know, the, the conference finals onwards of those four coaches left. Who is who is really dominating? Well, I can tell you who's dominating now. Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra. That's the name I was thinking of too. 100%. Um, it's been sad to see Billy Donovan leave. Um, maybe he's got a, you know, something else on the horizon. Apparently, they there was mutual. Um, they parted. It sounded like Billy didn't want to be there. Yeah. Well, like part of the rebuild. But literally, I think they're legitimately going to go rebuilding next yeah. year. And yep. so, and that, and that has to be the case. I mean, it was a great year. Good for the fans. Um, but... 
just last last point um, on the awards, we can link it back to uh, Montrez Harrell winning the six-man for the LA Clippers. So if you're out there wondering, you know, have we forgotten about the Clippers? Uh, oh, we hell haven't. no. We, we, should, haven't. we should give them a bit of uh, bit of time because the last time we spoke, I was pretty on board. You were very much I was on very board on board that they were going to win the title. I was adamant. So what happened, Drew? I have no idea about this game called basketball. Up three one, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, you just look at the box score of just the last game. A lot of them you can break down the last three games of that ser- series. Up three one, uh, and they were up big. They're up big um, again at times in game uh, game seven. It was the Jamal Murray show. They couldn't stop him. Couldn't do it. Forty um, points, five assists, four rebounds in that last game. So we, we you have to give and Jokic triple double, sixteen points, twenty oh, rebounds, thirteen assists. That was a massive triple double, mind you. Incredible game. Ninety four percent from the line as a team, forty nine percent as a team shooting. But I'm sorry to say Oh, don't be sorry. Kawhi Leonard, six for twenty two in game seven. Paul George, now this is not surprising, but he had started to show signs that he was turning around. There was life there. Four for 16 for Paul George, but that's six for Two 22. of 11 from outside was my favorite. Two of 11 from outside. I went, wow. You, you just Five think, turnovers. You just keep shooting and you think something's going to drop and you're just waiting for somebody else to get the rebound and, you know, go back and play half-assed defense. And they got burnt. They got absolutely burnt. Uh, Jeremy Grant was great. I thought Gary Harris was brilliant. Um, Monte Morris has been doing a good job off the bench. He's been, you know, since Mike Malone has expanded that rotation, uh, himself and Dozier have been, you know, an asset to the team, you know, coming in, playing good defense, hitting tough shots, hitting a three. And Monte Morris is a really good mid-range shooter. And I thought he had hit a couple of really big buckets in that series and really swung it in Denver's direction. But it was Jokic and Murray. They were they were the two headed monster that 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 series. But how about that talk? I don't know if you heard it after Game Seven. The reports that the Clippers players were asking out of the game after these three and four minute spurts. I didn't actually hear which players that they were referring to, but it doesn't matter. Any players in a playoff game asking out after three or four minutes, Game Seven. Or otherwise, Game Seven. I feel like you should be more in the groove. Montrez Harrell was absolutely pissed at Paul George. There's been a lot of reports after the series, um, a lot of locker room chat, a lot of screaming in the locker rooms. As we heard, like the Boston-Miami series after game two, Marcus Smart was addressing his team um, incredibly loud. Uh, And it got a bit out of hand, but there was a bit of spark there. But why not do it during the series instead of when the series is over? Like uh, venting your frustration on your teammates. We know that's not the way to go about it and get the best out of your teammates. Well, Montrez was the only player probably in the whole game that at least statistically looked pretty good. 20 points, 7 for 10 from the line, 6 for 9 from the free throw line, which is all right for him. Um, And I have to tell you, um, I mean, I I will give Kawhi Leonard a pass. Absolutely. He had a bad game seven. I'm sure he was pissed off after that game. He's, He's definitely got the runs on the board. Multiple finals MVPs. Paul George, on the other hand. Mm hmm. After, like, I, I I, legitimately thought maybe he'd gotten back on track. The first four, four games of this series, he was putting up some really nice performances, some really good points. He had, uh, he had 33, 26, 10, 32 in the previous games, just before game seven. And I kind of, I don't dislike Paul George, but I don't 
have any reason to especially like Paul George. Um, you ha- you know, some will say, oh, go back and look at how great he was against LeBron James when he's at Indiana. Mate, that's another lifetime ago. It is a lifetime it's, ago. What have you done for me lately? Time's another three or four years. I mean, that's so long ago. And he was never the alpha dog in that Indiana team. I mean, David West, for example, really yeah. had stones and he really, in terms of culture and leaders. And look, that's the one real kind of... And even before him, it was... Um... Danny Granger. Granger, that's it. Yeah. The small forward. Yeah, and Indiana had a lot of good players that year. And, and you know, the thing is in the modern NBA and the one really significant thing that Kawhi Leonard does not bring to your team is a voice. A voice. He, yeah. He doesn't – and I don't even know if he brings leadership. I mean, I don't even really feel like he's a quiet leader or a leader by example because the stuff that he does, the stone-cold stuff that he does is sort of – down the stretch and it's kind of away from the rest of the offense. He kind of decides, okay, I'm going to pull up a three. Yeah. I'm going to go three steps to the elbow and take a jump shot. All right, I'm going to just fucking get a couple of massive defensive rebounds on a couple of possessions and really make a statement, that board man thing. And all that stuff is good and it does make an impact, but it never feels like he's really kind of part of that team. Look, he may be a little bit more personable and a bit more of a lead up behind closed doors, but I've never read anything about it. No one's ever mentioned that about it for him. And it's sure he can be the best player on a championship team. He's shown that, but you, he needs to be on a team with real leaders. And if you look down that list, I mean, um, Morris does some things, but it's not leadership. Pat Um, Beverly does some things. Pat Beverly does some things, but again, he's sort of like a little bit himself, not selfish because he's playing defense and playing really good, effective basketball. But I don't really feel like it's a galvanizing thing. When you have a teammate and I'm one of these teammates in my team, that's a little bit antagonistic. It doesn't really, it, it really affects the opposition, but it doesn't necessarily help your team come together. Zubats is quiet. Um, Jeff Green is super duper quiet. Um, Montrez might've been that kind of figure, but he's, only just started coming back into the bubble. Reggie Jackson's definitely not that kind Before of player. Before you get to him, I want to throw it at you. Lou Williams, major disappointment that series. Major disappointment. Uh, a leader of sorts, you know, a guy who's played in multiple playoff games before, you know, played in big moments and gets clutch buckets. He had a stinker. Um, the last game, uh, game seven, he scored seven points. Uh, game six, 14 Game five, four points, all losses. And, yeah, it was all double figures, double figures in the wins, uh, during the wins. But, you know, he, he just didn't cut it. Uh, turnovers um, and just a lack of direction on offense. He didn't really create as much as he usually does. Um, he found Montrez Harrell a couple of times cutting to the bucket. But it was a lot of step-back wing jump shots and, you know, just taken out of the flow of the offense. And a bit selfish, I, I found. And I got that vibe from Paul George as well as Kawhi Leonard. Acceptable for Kawhi because that's his game. But I, I didn't see enough from Paul George and Lou Williams to really lead that team to that next, you know, to the next uh, playoff series. And I really thought that they, those guys were going to be the Icemen that we're going to close a game down the stretch, take the ball to the bucket, you know, close out games at the free throw line, play smart basketball, you know, get Zubach in the screen or Harold and screen and 
use the pick and roll effectively or the pick and pop, and they just didn't do that. They got the screen, like the roller rolled, like the screener rolled or popped, and they just still held the ball and stood where where they were initially, and they just take crazy jump shots. Look, I, I everything you just said is really interesting, and, and, and I agree with all of it. The X's and O's, they fell short, but I don't think that's why they lost the series. I think the coaching was solid. It was okay. I don't think Doc did a fantastic job, but I definitely wouldn't be blaming him. Locker room? It definitely felt like he'd sort of... I don't think he lost the locker room, but he definitely... Not Doc, but the team. Yes, but I, what I'm saying is I don't think Doc was able to... Because of the precedent of the season that had just gone, I don't think he was able to press a button or increase a level of intensity for Game 7. Even in his remarks before the game, he was talking about, I want you to play free. Like that to me is a, a, a coach that's looking at a bunch of players who are tight individuals and, and, and individual and not yeah. really pulling together. I mean, it's the exact opposite of the kind of teams he had in Boston with someone like a Kevin Garnett, you know, like it's, it's very odd for an entire basketball roster looking the whole roster and not really seeing one proper leader dog. I mean, Montrez is the closest, but, he wouldn't even be in the top three in most rosters in, in no. that in that role. And it does what it reminds me of it, and a lot of this stuff comes back to LeBron, where often in his career we've picked LeBron apart. Um, and the one thing, he may not be the most traditionally great leader, but the culture and the environment that he does create around him does enable people like Dwight Howard to come in and be a bit of a pest and be pretty much out of the rotation. But when he's called upon he does the job and produce and he, yeah. and he, and he puts him in production and he did a little, he, he did his role in getting the Lakers uh, some wins in this, in these first two games of the conference finals. And so the Clippers, I mean, I would, you know, I, this time last year, you could have looked at the Clippers a similar way. You looked at Philadelphia this time last year, that team that just looked like one game away, one shot away. Yeah. Keep come, you know, and at the, this time last year, I advocated bring them all back, give them another shot. You know, I think they can do it. They think they can do it. Maybe this is a time where you can get something back for Paul George. Maybe. I mean, I don't know, but his trade value is very high right now. A lot of teams will be looking. Uh, but you know, he's still got a year a left, like a full Paul year George. left, and maybe if you're if you're close, maybe if you're a Miami, I don't know. I mean, there. If you're a Philly. You I'd know, like exchange wings with Josh Richardson, throw in a draft pick and another role player like Corkmas or something like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely knows? an option. They've already done work to trade before with Landry Shamit and stuff like that. So I just think that that team on paper and talent wise, and they showed it. They're flat track bullies and they very good at getting big leads and they're very good at, you know, high fiving each other when they're getting leads. But I, I know it's recency bias, but I look down that roster and I think. Even with you add a nice veteran piece here or there, I, I mean, I don't know. We'd have to go through an entire list of all the NBA free agents, but that roster currently constructed. I thought they had enough to win it, to be honest. Do you think they have yeah. enough to win it in 2021? It depends. It, you know, where these free agents go, um, see what teams make moves. But if we just leave every roster as is, I'm going to say, yeah, I think they're young enough. So you yeah. roll it back, coach, all the way through? I would. I'd give it another shot. You know, I'd probably try and pick up another veteran or something or another shooter, another big body that can, you know, help out uh, Zubac because he was great. You know, it's weird that leadership thing though, right? It's really kind of, it's really odd. You can't, you never hear about people going into free agency for leadership. You often hear 
halfway through the season, you know, oh, Iguodala or someone, oh, he's been a great get because of his leadership, blah, blah, blah. But no one ever talks up a player like that when they come in as, oh, he's going to change the culture. And I just think with that many non-leader kind of players, one guy or two guys at the veteran minimum or, or the kind of player you're likely to get, um, I just don't know if, if there's enough if there's enough there to turn uh, it around with the weight of what how this went wrong, with the, the weight of being a, a clipper, wearing a clipper jersey. Is it, is it the curse of the clippers? It's not necessarily a curse, but culture is a real thing. 100%. There's a real reason why as awful and crap, and we'd go to a different sport here, as the Brisbane Broncos are right now, you just know that within two or three years they will be in the grand final again. They just – they will. As bad as the Bulldogs are, within three or four years they will – you know, that history and culture really gets it. Where I couldn't say the same thing about the Gold Coast Titans, you know. I couldn't say the same thing about... I think they're trying to trying to form a culture there, make a culture. And, you know, a four-game win streak, what the Go- uh, Gold Coast Titans are on at the moment, is a good start. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the Titans probably have a better helps. chance than the Clippers because the Clippers have got 50 years of it. Yeah. It's not just six or seven years of it. They've got 50 years. Gold Coast have got 30 years, 30-plus 30 years. I remember them coming in and sure, the Eagles, sure. the Chargers, sure, you know, sure. the whole shebang. But um, but look at the players. There are some good players out there. Like you could you could get, if you're the Clippers, you know, if you can convince them right, I don't think the money would work unless you lose players. But the players out there on unrestricted free agents, the players like Gallinari, I like Dragic, you know. Montrez Harrell himself is an unrestricted free agent. So... Maybe he's gone and the one half a leader you've got, you this, lose. Do you make a big splash and go for CP3? Do you get him back? Well, that would be a turn up. That would be. Uh, he, he's the exact kind of person I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it, do, do they say, okay, we made a massive mistake. Does Paul George go to OKC again? Do we do the CP3 trade again? What? Paul George goes back. Yeah. Okay. See. Well, I was going to say be, he could be the leader on that team. I, could, I was going to really say I team. can't see Chris Paul and Paul George playing together. No, I know they could. They, they wouldn't work. I think I could see Kawhi and Chris. Oh, same. That could work. You know, fire and ice. Um, maybe fire and ice. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, it's a, it's it's an option. Um, just wanted to say how wrong I was um, with the Andre Iguodala trade. Uh, what he's brought to Miami and uh, <laughs> what I thought just and this is what this is going off the back of leaders veterans um, you know and Iguodala has been bringing that he's galvanized that team where you know three months ago there's no way I could see Miami in the race for the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, that no trade, that Impossible. trade, that trade as a whole was amazing because not only brought Iguodala, that same trade brought Jay Crowder. Yeah, who's and been? They certainly don't beat up. Miami, uh, Milwaukee four one without nope. Jay. They might have beaten him, but beaten him without Jay Crowder. But they're, they're winning in seven, maybe. I mean, he he was the one guarding LeBron. We all, Yana, uh, sorry, we all thought Bam was going to be guarding Giannis, but it was Jay Crowder. So that Jay Crowder, Iguodala move. Um, Justice Winslow showed signs, but he couldn't stay, Riley on, again. stay on the court. And he doesn't really feel like a Heat player when you look at the rest of the r- roster. Well, Justice Winslow, like you, you kind of look at the postseason and what it's been, and do you think he could have contributed to that Miami team? I don't think so. 
Not over the over the likes of the players but, that they. I mean, they used they used um, Justice Winslow as a point forward. Yeah, at they, the start of the season, and he looked. They've got plenty of point forwards. They've yeah, got plenty of players that can well, facilitate. That's right, and create and create shots for each other, and they have kind of a really complex uh, offense at times, uh, and they've got a really kind of nifty offense. They can they can do a lot of interchangeable things both at both ends of the court. Do you want to talk about a little bit before we go? Just uh, one last bit on the X's and O's about how you impressed you've been with. Miami's defensive adjustments and the oh, zone. Just I was saying to you before, I think their zones out outstanding. I think using their bigs up top, you know, to you know create issues for you know guards trying to make that entry pass and having length on the perimeter, um, closing down Boston on the perimeter, forcing them into bad shots and not necessarily bad shots, but contested shots. So you know Tatum, Brown, Kemba Walker have been trying to shoot over guys with. Um, you know, a bit of length, and it's um, it created a big, big problem for them. Uh, I, I think their defense and their tenacity defensively has, you know, squandered a lot of opportunities for Boston, a lot of 50-50 balls, but we saw Boston turn it around in game three. So, look, I'm just eagerly anticipating game four tomorrow and can't wait. Like, I don't know, it's a toss of the coin at the moment. I think if um, Jimmy Butler brings it, if the guards from Miami start to hit a few threes and, you know, hit that mid-range game, it's it's Miami's game. But Jason Tatum has to be magnificent. We have to see another, you know, multifacet performance from Gordon Hayward who played extremely well defensively and also looked to be a really good facilitator offensively and, I think Boston have to really play out amazing basketball to get a win tomorrow. All right. Let's finish off with score predictions for the game four for Boston, Miami and game three for Lakers. Denver. I'm going to say one Oh four 98 for Miami tomorrow. And I'm going to say one 13, one Oh nine Denver. Wow. Well, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, only because I really want it. Not because I think it's going to be sure, like that. Sure. I just want it to happen. Well, I'm going to be the exact opposite. I'm going to say um, Boston uh, wins. I'm not going to bet a small margin. I think actually, what am I talking about? Boston. Argument. Remember within six, within, I'm not, within I'm, I'm going to predict Miami, Miami 105, Boston 101. But on the other side, Lakers will win game three. Uh, I think they'll win it by eight or nine. So I'm going to say one twelve one oh three. I think Denver is stupid. I think they they have a very short memory and I think they're going to come out and just play the best basketball they can play. And after the celebrations that I saw against the Los Angeles Clippers in the dressing rooms, I think that team's bonded so well. And they've created something and they've got trust in each other. And I really think that they can turn this, you know, turn it around and have a little bit of fun with this Laker lineup. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. But, yeah, look out for Rondo. All right. Till next we meet. Okay. Thanks, Diamonds, for tuning in.